welcome to the Love Your Life Project, a gentle guide to living a wholehearted, meaningful life. In these trying times, listen to stories, poems, musings, mystical wisdom to inspire you, bringing a little more light to your day. I'm Anuramana. Hello again, beloved friends. Thank you for joining me today. Always lovely to be with you. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, today I'm going to share about a a very difficult, uh, challenging subject, which is the, the history, the evolution maybe of the of abortion or lack of in Ireland, really the the fate of pregnant girls or women over time, and I will say that it's uh, it's not a pleasant uh, history, but I ask you to bear with me if you feel inclined um, to listen. It is indeed a very humbling uh, journey that I've been on in reading and absorbing uh, what was going on in my in my native country and the particular influence of both the Catholic Church and state, the government, and how that deeply influenced what what happened in really all arenas of life, but in particular now we're talking about the area of pregnancy. And I'd like to start with a quote by uh, an Irish native, James Joyce. Uh, It's from his novel, Ulysses, but it really does speak up to the universality, really, of our experience to our connectedness as humans on planet earth and how we are really always only seeing or meeting some aspect of our own reflection a reflection of our own interior so he says in Ulysses every life is in many days day after day we walk through ourselves meeting robbers ghosts giants old men young men, wives, widows, brothers in love, but always meeting ourselves, always meeting ourselves. I would ask you as we continue on to hold as preface, as foundation, this idea, because I am guessing judgments will arise as as they did for me, but really it was tears of compassion for really the poignancy of the human, the human condition. So for a long time, historically, abortion just wasn't legal in Ireland. And there were a couple of famous cases, even though these young girls weren't named, they went by X, uh, you know, as a, 
an Appalachian. But there was a young girl who was raped and she she begged to have an abortion and was told she couldn't, it was illegal. And so she said that she felt suicidal. And even with that, they still wouldn't allow it to happen. As it happened, you know, she would have had to carry the baby to term, but as it happened, she did miscarry. And, you know, life went on as usual. The church, at least in the 60s in my childhood and and before that, um, yielded enormous power, as did the state. But the two were very much interwoven. So there was a very famous case in 2012 that really woke up the entirety of, I would say, the island of Ireland. Um, This beautiful couple from India had settled in Galway and this woman, Savita Halapanavar, she became pregnant and they were very, very excited about it. She was 31 years old. And I think she was about 17 weeks pregnant when she started to feel this really intense pain in her pelvis. So she went to the hospital in Galway and um, she was just told it was back pain and to go home and, you know, she'd be fine later. But the pain didn't go away and she realized that she was miscarrying. And so... Even with, in Ireland, the law, even with a partial miscarriage, if there's a fetal heartbeat under Irish law, the doctors said they could do nothing. And apparently a a midwife told Savita, even though she was in agonizing pain, that she couldn't have an abortion because, quote, this is a Catholic country, unquote. So a little later... um, she began, Savita began to vomit violently and she had a a rupture of membranes and these membranes were around the fetus. So somehow her pain eased up but she was still bleeding a lot and they just kept checking, you know, for a fetal heartbeat and the next day Savita and her husband, they begged for medication to induce the inevitable miscarriage. And the doctor kept telling them as long as there was a heartbeat, they couldn't. And so for three days, they just refused that request. And eventually, Savina contracted sepsis and she died. And there was an outcry in Ireland. I mean, her face, you know, was known all over the country one of the great unifying elements in Ireland historically has been the radio and everybody in Ireland has an opinion and every radio show all day every day was talking about this horror um, that could have been avoided and it set in motion you know this new amendment to the referendum to the constitution to uh, allow abortion and it was finally after many many years 
It was finally voted into law at the end of 2018 and became effective at the beginning of 2019. But it's such a tragedy that such a beautiful woman, a dentist, a happily married woman, loving her life, delighted to be pregnant, had to lose her life because of this uh, rigid law in Ireland. But I will say that, you know, in recent years, let's say the last decade, there has been a, a pivot away from the conservatism and out from under the umbrella of Catholicism, religion, I should say, and, you know, devotion to um, the hierarchy, to the standard authorities um, in the country. And they were one of the first countries to vote in marriage equality in 2015. And that was a very proud moment for Ireland. And so another difficult piece I feel to share with you is the recent, actually in the same year of Savita's death, discovery through an amateur historian, also in Galway in Chewham, the discovery of many babies, almost 800 buried in these mass graves, actually in a septic tank, um, in a mother and baby home. This historian who was just kind of researching her local area started to find more and more clues that this home where, let's say, illegitimate children were born, where pregnant women were sent off because of the shame um, that was really part and parcel of life in Ireland, you know, to be pregnant out of wedlock. It was one of the worst things that could befall a young girl. And so these mother and baby homes were um, were in existence, and this one in Chewham was run by the nuns, but they were under the ages, of course, of the Catholic Church. And it's an amazing tragedy to find that many of those babies born there were either sold to um, Catholic Americans, adopted out against the wishes of the mother, or if they weren't well, or a lot of them, it was found in the records, were anemic, emaciated, probably not fed, or clothed, or treated properly. They died, and they ranged in age, they found out, from about 37 fetal weeks or so to about three years old. Hundreds and hundreds of babies just buried in these chambers in a disused septic tank. So, of course, this also caused an outcry in Ireland. At first, I should say, Catherine Corliss, this amazing historian, who was doing it really for a hobby and to help ease her own anxieties. Her mother, she found out, who'd never spoken about it. She found out after she died that she had actually been born out of wedlock too. The mother, I mean. There was such shame about it that uh, 
She never even told her husband and kept that secret till she died. But at first, after this article came out in the local Chewham, I probably historical society um, magazine publication, nobody responded. You know, there is kind of a, or there has been a piece of that in Ireland, just, you know, burying all of the horror um, and never talking about it again, like even with the famine, the intensity of that horrible time in the in the 1840s when so many people died of starvation. Uh, I would ask my father, I would ask people, you know, about that history, uh, where my father came from, and nobody wanted to talk about it. It just was one of those shameful things that wanted to be put away and never looked at again. And so when this whole piece came out about these buried babies, um, there was nothing, there was no response whatsoever from anyone. And so eventually Catherine went to a newspaper, uh, one of the main national newspapers, and there was a front page spread about it. And then everybody, including the church, including the state, had something to say about it. Um, But it's immense stain on the history of the country that I came out of and the one I love so deeply. There's such a deep soul and incredible beauty to Ireland. But this is a piece where I feel actually both pieces, the case of poor Sophia and also of these Chewan babies, they were incidents that woke the country out of its torpor, where consciousness, we could say, the bravery of one woman who she said she felt she was chosen, you know, she was guided to research this, could change the whole ethos, the whole um, way of being in the entire nation. And it's still in process, this whole unfolding. Um, They are looking and seeing if they can exhume uh, the bones, which would be really hard to identify at this point. And it feels like, you know, there's all kinds of legal hurdles. So it's not like it's cut and dried and um, is being completely remedied. But in Catholic, the Catholic teaching, once you've been baptized, then you must be buried in consecrated ground. And obviously, a septic tank is not that. So there are a lot of unanswered questions. And I do feel there probably was a lot of both ignorance and also pressure on the nuns and also on the families that these unwed mothers came from. You know, where do you point the finger at ultimately? It's been really harrowing to read more of the intimate details of this unfolding. There's a very profound um, 
article in the New York Times that I read that was deeply, deeply moving, but it left me in tears, tears of compassion, um, tears of love for what those short lives endured. But maybe, I mean, who can say? Maybe they came just for a short visit here. Maybe they didn't need to live out a whole life on planet Earth. Who can say? But I do feel that some people, just like George Floyd, they become these figures that endure oh, horrific things and become these emblems of, you know, waking up, waking up society, taking us out, catapulting us out of our torpor. And I'm certainly not justifying any of it, except to say that within us, we hold the capacity for good, for what we might call evil. We have the potential within us for everything along the spectrum in this world of duality, of polarity. So I know it's a lot to leave you with today, but if we can find some, some message from this, I feel it's one of hope and possibility for the next generation. I read that there were 170,000 girls or women, 170,000 in Ireland between 1980 and 2018, before abortion became more available, who had to leave Ireland to have an abortion. 170,000. So, just taking a deep breath here. Maybe you could too. There's a poem I came across I'd like to share with you by Timothy Liu, and it's called The Lovers. He says, I was always afraid of the next card the psychic would turn over for us. Forgive me for not knowing how we were every card in the deck. I was always afraid of the next card the psychic would turn over for us. Forgive me for not knowing how we were every card in the deck. That potential in all of us. Not easy, not easy to look at and maybe not as extreme in our personal experience. But those shadow places we could call, even the ones that are so small, they're barely noticeable. When we can bring light, when we can bring love, we can wrap our arms around those places. It does away with the shame, with the guilt. We're human. We're doing the best we can. And every one of us, I feel, just wants love, just wants to be loved, to be accepted, to be heard, to be honored, to be appreciated. For each one of us, even though we are all connected and not really separate at all, we have our each, we each have our own unique individual path.
And so I just want to leave you with this one beautiful and I think inspiring tale. And it's about Thich Nhat Hanh, the wonderful Vietnamese spiritual teacher. You know, he wrote this beautiful poem called Please Call Me By My True Names. And what inspired it was one day his community, they got this letter from a young girl. She'd been on a small boat and she was raped by a pirate from Thailand. She was only 12 and she jumped into the ocean and drowned herself. So Thich Nhat Hanh went on to say, when you first learn of something like that, you get angry at the pirate. You naturally take the side of the girl. As you look more deeply, you will see it differently. If you take the side of the little girl, then it's easy. You only have to take a gun and shoot the pirate. But we can't do that. In my meditation, Thich Nhat Hanh says, I saw that if I had been born in the village of the pirate and raised in that village in the same conditions as he would, as he was, I would now be the pirate. I can't condemn myself so easily. In my meditation, I saw that many babies are born along the Gulf of Siam, hundreds every day. And if we and others do not do something about the situation, a number of those in 25 years will become sea pirates. That's certain. If you or I were born today in those fishing villages, we might become sea pirates in 25 years. If you take a gun and shoot the pirate, you shoot all of us, because all of us are, to some extent, responsible for this state of affairs. So we as humans belonging to this race, we have in common our life here on planet Earth. And perhaps we can, by allowing ourselves to include all of humanity and wrap our arms around the sorrow, the pain, the suffering, the anger, the rage, perhaps we can bring more love, more light. In fact, I know we can to this world. Make it a better place to be. So here is the poem I will leave you with by Thich Nhat Hanh. Please call me by my true names. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river. And I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond. And I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks. And I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I'm the 12 year old girl refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing 
and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands. And I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people dying slowly in a forced labour camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. My joy is like spring, my pain is like a river of tears. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and my laughter at once so that I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. Please Call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. The door of compassion in your own heart. How open is it? How willing are you to hold a candle a candle of light for all of the apparently misguided actions, for all of the sadness, for all of the apparent suffering in our world. To be both the joy like spring and the pain like a river filling the ocean with tears. To open to the possibility that joy and sorrow are actually one, that this duality, these apparent two, are actually one. I'm not sure if I shared before a beautiful sharing by Ram Das, the spiritual teacher, who talked about the richness of the one, the oneness behind the apparent two. The richness of that oneness, that huge united heart of love, of connectedness, of belonging, of wholeness, where there is no separation, where there is no finger pointing, where we all belong in that sea of connection, of love, of beauty, of peace. So if you've managed to stay the course with me today, I thank you and I applaud you. And I love you very, very much. From my heart to yours, always. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with others. And if you'd like to hear more, you can find me on my website, anaramana.com. And also on there is a link to become a member of my Patreon family, where for a donation, I offer additional gifts and bonuses, like guided meditations and private Zoom calls. Much love to you. Till next time.